And we are back. Another off-season edition of the Limited Upside podcast. Today we did the Detroit Pistons, a very interesting team, a team on the rise, a team that Mike and I both like. I'm Ben Epstein, as always, joined by Mike Prada. And today we had a special guest from the Detroit Bad Boys SB Nation NBA community. That was Jordan Ballant. Jordan was great, really knows the Pistons, really has the pulse of the franchise, pulse of the fan base, I should say. And we got into some good discussions about their really interesting players. They have Andre Drummond. They have Reggie Jackson. These are fun players to talk about. But before you listen to the podcast, as always, we really, really appreciate it when you subscribe, rate, and review all those good things. And wherever you do get your podcast, if that's iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, on our platform on SB Nation backslash NBA. Those are the places you're going to find the Limited Upside podcast. Send us your questions, too. Those questions can be sent to MikePreda at SBNation.com. They can hit us up on Twitter. That's at MikePredaSBN, at Limited underscore Upside, and at EpiBen. Also, if you really want to ask Jordan some more questions, and I suggest you do, he knows what he's talking about, hit him up at, at JDBell20. Guys, I think you're going to like this one. I think you're going to really appreciate that Mike was positive on this one. I kept it positive, too, and we got to talk about Ish Smith. All the best things, Detroit bad boys, Detroit Pistons. Enjoy the Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. All right, the Detroit Pistons. Uh, we've got Jordan Ballant of Detroit Bad Boys to talk about. Hey, they made the playoffs last year. First time since 2009. Uh, Stan Van Gundy did the job. I mean, and honestly, they kind of gave Cleveland a bit of a scare in that first round. They were they showed themselves well. So was that the season that you were hoping they'd have? Did you expect more? Were you just happy to be back in the playoffs? I mean, what's the sense in Detroit land right now? Yeah, I think the sense was getting into the playoffs was it was just happy to be there. This was the second year in Stan Van Gundy and the rebuild. And he had already worked over so much of that roster that I think a lot of fans were just happy to be there. And after we saw what the Cavaliers were able to do after that first round series, it really didn't leave that bad of a taste in the mouth of Pistons fans that we got swept. I think when you look at how the Hawks played them and, and even the Raptors in the last three games of that series, I think the Pistons had a pretty good showing as a as an Eastern Conference team getting back to the playoffs, uh, and that was the biggest thing, just to be back. Uh, it was a situation where just to be nominated was, was enough for the Pistons last season. Yeah, but those are the stepping stones. You have to make – I mean, I, I guess it's a little bit cliche at this point that you have to make the playoffs and learn how to lose, and then you take that next step, whatever. The Warriors went on the same trajectory, not calling them the Warriors, but – it is important to get guys like Reggie Jackson playoff experience where he's not the backup point guard. Uh, to get Contavious Caldwell-Pope playing against a guy like, I don't know, Kyrie Irving in that first round, trying to D him up on the wing. I will say this. I've been a big fan of what Stan Van Gundy has done from an overall cultural standpoint. We talked about how they've missed the playoffs for a number of years now. Did you sense that when he came in that, that this past season, so this was the second year last year uh, of the Stan Van Gundy era, did you have a sense that they were moving in that direction? Or were you surprised by that playoff run or being able to make playoffs? 
I, I was a little surprised. I thought we would be right on the playoff bubble, and I think we were helped out by some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference that were on the outside not being mm-hmm. as strong as I expected last season. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it was definitely because of this roster being built in Stan Van's image, taking what was successful for him as the head coach of the Magic and applying it to the Pistons. And first, I think a lot of people were worried that he had been out of basketball and we weren't sure how he would be able to adjust to where basketball was going. Mm-hmm. And I think we found out very quickly that he had a pulse on where the league was going and knew how to put a roster together in a market that isn't going to bring you a superstar. Sure. And that's something that Pistons fans have always understood. Uh, it's always going to be through the draft, through trades, and hoping that you can find those few diamond free agents that can put together a core like we did with the bad boys and like we did with the going to work Pistons uh, to get us back to a place where we can be contenders. Uh, So when Stan Van came in, I thought it would take probably three seasons to get that in place, but it was a fire sale that first season. And you saw some, some moments of really good basketball. So going into that second year, going into last season, I, yeah, I think a lot of fans were really anticipating this as being the first push. So it was so great to get in. Uh, sure. It made it so much greater that first that first run. It, it's funny they they were really very much like you said. They did a lot of Stan Van Gundy things. I mean, they were frankly for a young team they were pretty consistent uh, throughout the year. Like you know they didn't have too many ups or downs. They were kind of at a core level of competency. They they did a lot of the basic stuff that stand teams do. They didn't foul very much. They were a very good defensive rebounding team. They didn't turn the ball over a ton. I mean, and this is still a young team. Now, one thing they didn't do very well uh, was shoot, but the other thing that they didn't really have that I think hurt them last year was a bench, and that's what they tried to solve this summer. They go get Ish Smith, they get John Luer, they get Boban Marjanovic, and look, they spent a lot of money on those players, and probably, I think, probably too much money, but they do feel, I mean, their backup point guard was terrible last year. They didn't really have a good uh, stretch big. I mean, they had a, early, after they traded Ilyasova, I think Lure will help there. They really didn't have a backup center uh, other than Baines. And, you know, their bench was really not that great last year. And now they've got some guys that they can play off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Last year, where I think it was easy to see the team didn't have a bench was the second game of a back-to-back, that third game in five nights when the starters are and especially for Stan, Stan Van Gundy, because he only plays a, a nine-man rotation, so those starters get pretty heavy minutes throughout the regular season. It was really noticeable when the starters were fatigued, we didn't have anyone to go to. And you're right, having guys like Steve Blake that you were relying on for big minutes, <laughs> it really hurt the product on the floor. It's just having the talent, I think, this offseason that we were able to bring in. And part of it is probably overpaying. I think to bring these guys in, I think the Pistons had to overpay to a certain extent to get some of these guys to play bench roles. Uh, But I really like the moves because improving that bench should help us build a regular season product that's better, win some more games, uh, especially close games, because we have those stretches when the starters are off the floor and the team just allows a run and all of a sudden that league we had that lead we had at halftime is gone by the middle of the third quarter yeah so they spent they spent six million a year on ish smith ben's favorite player uh yeah i think that was probably the best signing of the offseason they spent 10 million plus a year on john lure who's really bounced around the league a lot uh but if you look at some of his his permanent numbers and 
some of the things he can do. You can see sort of the outlines of a player, but I mean, that was one of those contracts that I think a, a lot of fans looked up and was like, wow, that guy got $10 million a year? Wow, the NBA has really changed. And then they spent $7 million a year on Marjanovic, who you know, really didn't play that much last year. And they already have Bain, so they plug holes. I mean, but there also are a lot of money, so... It's gonna. It, to me, it's almost like they they Sam and Gundy made these moves thinking like a coach. He thinks like, okay, I've got this backup point guard hole, and now we're gonna find someone to fill this hole. And I've got this hole at the. I don't have a stretch big anymore after Ilyasova and with Tolliver leaving. Let's get this guy, you know. So it's gonna be interesting to see if like maybe like these guys are really good. I feel like if you everybody was healthy and these guys are playing their roles. It would make a lot of sense. Like, what happens if anyone gets injured? Now, the bright news is that they've got, like, about 700 swingmen that they can use. <laughs> <laughs> fun, young swingmen, including, you know, Stanley Johnson and and KCP. And now they got Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris. And, you know, even Reggie Bullock had his moments. Like, they've got about 700 of those. So they're not going to be lacking in that department. Jordan, did you think it was a little bit interesting that they would draft a Henry Ellison and then sign a John Lauer, who kind of seemed like – Lure, I should say, who kind of seem like uh, redundant pieces yeah. that you ideally you'd like Ellison Ellison to be John Lure. Exactly. Yeah, I, I had the exact same thought when we signed <laughs> John Lure after drafting Henry Ellison. Is we have now two of the same person. <laughs> right. I'm just not sure how that works in the short term, but I, I think it kind of shows that Stan Van is thinking about player progression, and you've got a guy in Henry Ellison that maybe he's spending his year in Grand Rapids, uh, yeah. which. D-League affiliate for the Pistons and is just kind of working on his game so maybe he can work himself into the role that I expect them uh, to have for John Luer this season, which is probably about 15 to 20 minutes a game uh, behind Tobias Harris at the four spot. Uh, but the the move that I, I, I wanted to, to say that we probably overpaid the one that I, I think of the three that were mentioned is probably Ish Smith. Uh, just because we were able to get right fighting McCallum. words for Ben. No, it's okay. Keep it going. I know. <laughs> Some have said, is it the great signing or the greatest signing? Uh, <laughs> um, but with Ish Smith, we got Ray McCallum on a minimum contract and you get Ish Smith off of a very nice showing in Philadelphia. Although it's a little tough to know uh, yeah. that production translates to a real NBA roster. Sure. I, I'm, I'm just not sure if he was worth it. But when I look at Boban Marjanovic, uh, just to have that guy on the team, I would pay him a billion dollars. I'm so excited <laughs> basketball for the Pistons. And then with John Luer as well, I think the spot he fills, especially if you watch that Cleveland Cavaliers series, or really any time the Pistons have played the Cavs over the last two years, the way Kevin Love just destroys this team, especially when the Cavs start a run, and then you have that big trailing three of Kevin Love, and all of a sudden a one-point, uh, you know, being down one is now down four. In John Lure, we have a player who can do that and also guard that. And that type of offensive motion that has killed us the last few years, those stretch bigs that can shoot, John Lure is hopefully someone that can guard those players better. Because right now, I don't know if Tobias Harris can do it. Yeah, that's an interesting issue. First of all, uh, we did get an email question from Bugman about Henry Ellenson. If Does he have a chance to play a meaningful role with the team this year? You're saying no. It doesn't sound like the answer is, is uh, yes. It sounds like it's no. Now, you raise an interesting point. I actually think I, I like John Lower a bit. I mean, I think that'll be a good, a decent contract. I don't quite know why you need Boban when you already have Aaron Baines, but whatever. But you raise an interesting point. So the team last year, their big summer move essentially was trading for Tobias Harris. Uh, and on pure value, when you look at how old he is and his contract is an old con- old cap contract, 
it's a re- I thought it was a really great move. I'm not really sure why the Magic did that. And I thought he showed some interesting flashes in the second half of the year. You do raise a good point, though, that defensively they got worse bringing Harris in the starting lineup because when you have Harris and Marcus Morris, you are susceptible to those kind of bigger four, four men uh, like a Kevin Love who really hurt them in the playoffs. Um, what do you want to see from Tobias Harris this year? To I mean, what what kind of role do you envision for him now that Stan's got a full summer to kind of figure out how to integrate him into the system and to kind of mask some of his defensive flaws? Yeah, I think you hit it perfect, Ben. I, I think it's on the defensive end of the floor. We just need more effort. Maybe he didn't quite understand how the team is playing defense. Maybe he just hasn't been a part of the organization long enough. He didn't have enough practices. I think that's what you hope. Uh, but again, this is Stan Van Gundy for better or worse, thinking like a coach and having the power of a GM. So he he looks at this roster and says, I'm missing a Richard Lewis. Where can I go find a Richard Lewis? So he actually goes to the Magic, who are a team with no plan, and takes advantage of them uh, right before the trade deadline. And we end up with Tobias Harris, who I think matches that type of stretch four, who hopefully potentially can give you 20 points a game and is still a plus rebounder. The thing that's missing, of course, is he has to get better on the defensive end. So for him, that's what I'm hoping this next season is he can take a step on that end. And uh, that makes the team so much better if, if he can do that. Well, I want to go back real quick to Ish Smith, guys. Oh, I, 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 was, I, I just want to. I didn't give you the chance I, to get a rebuttal. Well, I, I only for this reason. <laughs> I think that he's a really nice compliment that if you want to keep Drummond in the game and and work him in with maybe a second unit or something like that. One of one of Ish's best traits is is finding big men above the rim where they're comfortable finishing. He made Nerlens Noel a good offensive player when he was on the court with him. Um, and Nerlens Noel has absolutely no offensive game uh, <laughs> whatsoever. Or hands. Uh, offensive hands, I should say. Pretty quick defensive hands. The other thing, too, is one way to make people better at shooting is to get them open shots. And Ish is a very good drive-and-kick point guard. So I think for second unit guys, when you're looking to get some points to, to kind of spell those runs, which you were talking about, maybe to get uh, Stanley Johnson uh, more incorporated into the game. I think Ish has done a great job of working with young players for a few years now and has a track record of trying to accelerate uh, finding the best places for young players to find their groove um, because basically he's been tasked with that for, for the last three seasons. I agree. I think it was a good signing, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, I, I think that was good. I didn't want to put too much time into that. But, uh, Jordan, what did you noticeably see? Mike hit on a couple things with, with Tobias Harris um, playing small forward, I believe, in the lineup you were just talking about with, with Marcus Morris. But, Jordan, you mentioned Tobias Harris playing power forward. So what's your ideal Pistons starting lineup? I think going into this season, it's Drummond, Harris, Morris, KCP, and Jackson. Okay. Uh, I would love if Stanley Johnson could take a step and get into the starting lineup. But for right now, it's probably Marcus Morris instead in the starting five. Okay. Pray, do you think so too? Probably. I mean, Marcus Morris had a good year. Uh, yeah. I, this all does sort of raise one issue I see with this team. Uh, you talk, I, first of all, defensively, I think that's going to be an interesting problem. But, you know, maybe if Johnson can develop, I think that may solve some of it. I mean, you look ahead to how the league is going. I mean, Johnson just got great size. And maybe you can kind of get Morris back in with the second unit a little bit more. I, I, I am a big Stanley Johnson fan. I, I see. I see a real great future in him. I think if he can learn to shoot a little bit more, I think he has great defensive potential. I think he has some playmaking potential. Uh, you know, if if he can make the next step this year, I think that would really kind of solve a lot of the Pistons' defensive problems. But one thing I worry about with this team is I, I don't really see, other than Ish Smith, ironically, I don't really see a lot of good passers on this team. You know, I don't see a single player 
that's an above average passer for their position. And, you know, I, I think that's a real potential concern. You know, in my wildest Detroit Pistons fantasies, I would have put someone like Nick Batum on this team. I think he would have been a great fit. Obviously, that never, sure. never happened. Um, and but they're sort of if you're going to use the Stan language, they're kind of missing their Turkaloo. They don't really that's exactly have, what I was going to say. They don't really have a a good playmaker. I worry a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I do as well. And especially adding Tobias Harris, who I think is playing the Richard Lewis role. That's the missing piece. Is you need that guy who, when the play breaks down, he can swing that ball back around and, and create something offensively on his own. There's just so much pressure on Reggie Jackson on the offensive end. If we had someone that could take some of that away and you're right just even just to be a plus passer at their position would be nice and right now when you when you look at the roster you're right we just don't have that player so i think that's probably the next position we look to upgrade i'm not sure how we do it with a roster as it is uh but it's that that three spot and hopefully it's stanley johnson but i do know that the coach used stanley quite a bit at the two last year that could have been because of injuries but I think there's a chance that he could be a player that sees some time of the two as well. He is a he would be a humongous two. Yeah, he's a big, <laughs> big strong two. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, because everybody says the team's problem is their shooting, and they were not a good shooting team last year. But to me, the you know, the real problem is that like they just their offense a lot of times when that Drummond Jackson pick and roll is isn't working. And I actually thought that as the season went on, you'd see some teams sort of invent some new tactics to kind of counteract Drummond's rolling. They'd really help off more. They'd actually sort of guard Drummond with a smaller player and switch the pick and roll sometimes. They do they do a lot of really funky things to throw it off. And when they did, there was just no real way to kind of create any secondary action. And so a lot of the shots they took were just kind of out of rhythm. And I, I don't know. I mean, I maybe – Unlocking Harris is sort of the key to that. Maybe it's Stanley Johnson, but I see that as a potential long-term problem for them. Yeah, I think one of the things that kind of comes with the goods of, of, of Jackson and, and the bad of Reggie Jackson is that he is a ball-dominant point guard and someone who wants to assert himself into the game. And a lot of point guards do that by getting other guys into the game, but he's someone who wants to take his man to the hoop. He's got a tremendous floater, and he's kind of a physically rangy guy. I always think of him kind of in that it's weird to say in a Drew Holiday mold because I'm pretty sure the Reggie Jackson's a little bit above Drew in that hierarchy of point guards. But guys who are a little bit longer and bigger than the other point guards and feel they need to impose themselves. And sometimes that can be at the cost of the flow of the offense uh, when you need to be getting other guys involved. You hit it on the head with Turkaloo, Prada. I'm, I'm looking for that guy on this roster, someone who can reset the offense 10 seconds into it, 15 seconds into it, um, be the point guard from the small forward position. You can also hit some threes. Uh, ideally, I think that's what they want from Ellenson, you know, a long time from now, um, yes. maybe a couple years from now. That's that's the, the reason you pick a guy like that. He was also one of my sleepers on the limited upside uh, uh, NBA draft preview we did uh, um, for, presented by Lexus. Um, but uh, I think we still have to legally say that for like eight more months, Mike. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I work in sales, but whatever. But um, so I think that that's an interesting part of it, right? Is that um, you have a point guard who has all of these abilities, but then you also need to, to extract the right components for the rest of the team, um, and where that you know kind of hits that apex of maximizing the Pistons' offense. But I think we would be remiss to not talk about who's at the top of that food chain, who needs to be fed, and who realistically is you know has the highest ceiling. Uh, on the Pistons, uh, and I think that's Andre Drummond. Um, Mike, you seem to think that last year he may have stagnated a bit. Can you tell me about that? And then Jordan, play off of that a touch and tell me what you think he needs to do to get to that next I'm level. I'm curious if Pistons fans agree. I don't know. I, I just I get the sense that Stan doesn't fully trust him. A lot of it is the free throw shooting. He's 35%. 
uh, I'm curious if you think this new virtual reality thing that he's doing is going to help because, you know, that, that was interesting <laughs> kind of, I don't know if you saw that, but, um, I think that's some of it, but I, I also just think it's a little too easy to sort of take him out of the game, um, in terms of, I mean, he should be just dominant on both ends of the floor as like, just th- for parts of the year, he was just this incredible rim rolling monster that grabbed every offensive rebound. And he'd almost create this like vertical spacing of sorts where, Reggie Jackson would drive on a pick and roll and like nobody would actually come and help because they're too worried about Drummond and Jackson would get all these open shots. Um, But at a certain point, it it seemed like it's a little too easy to take him out of the game mentally. It's a little too easy to sort of scheme him out of the game. I don't know if his skills are all the way there. I think sometimes his defensive effort or attention is a little here and there. Um, So I'm I'm really curious to see how this year goes for him. I mean, it's... Is this a fair reading, do you think, of the Andre Drummond situation? I think it is a fair reading, and part of it is is exactly what you talked about with how it helped Reggie Jackson, because this was a player that came to the Pistons and didn't really have much of a history of being a very good shooter and had his best shooting season statistically that he had had in college or in the NBA. And I worry a bit about that because are the shots going to continue to fall this year uh, because teams now know uh, a full year of how to play that pick and roll and how to play Drummond. Mm. It's probably, probably putting a little more pressure on Jackson to continue to make those shots. And uh, just a little bit more on Jackson as well. Having him be the primary, you know, engine of the offense uh, when the play would break down, it was always going to Marcus Morris and he had a tremendous season uh, just kind of with these ISO looks and being able to make uh, a lot of like long twos. I'm not sure if he can do that again this season as well. So it does, put a lot of pressure back on Andre Drummond if those two players don't have the seasons they had last year. And we're talking about this as a team that just got into the playoffs. So having those worries kind of comes back to the concern that I think the the fan base has about this franchise, that the star is still a work in progress. And I'm just not sure how good Andre Drummond has to be for this team to take the next step. Uh, Because at both ends of the floor, there are things in his game you really worry about. Uh, and we were lucky enough that he was bailed out by performances from players around him that were a little above expectation. This is interesting. Yeah, right. That, that leveling out effect. Yeah, I suspect a lot of people wouldn't think this about Andre Drummond. I think people want to root for Andre Drummond. I'll say it as an yeah. outside play, uh, outside uh, fan. Uh, my perspective is he seems like a, an interesting guy, someone who has something to say for himself, uh, who has interests outside of basketball, and that can be good and bad. Um, I, I think that sometimes people, um, to use a Stan Van Gundy reference, look, he had Dwight Howard on his team for a number of years. He maximized Dwight. They went to the NBA Finals. Dwight hasn't been able to touch that level since. Um, and and part of that, the, you know, one of the parts of ridicule that Dwight takes on is that he doesn't care enough about basketball, that he has uh, his brain can be out there and he wants to have fun. He doesn't hate people he plays against. And you can kind of see some of that levity uh, from Andre Drummond. But I do think that the outward perspective is people are rooting for him. They see him as a monster who's getting better and better. But I'm interested to you what you touched on free throws. That's such a rudimentary part of the game. DeAndre Jordan can be a defensive player of the year. He could be on uh, you know an Olympic team, much like um, Drummond has been a part of before, uh, or not Olympics, but a Team USA uh, roster. So tell me what the difference is between getting to that next level. I mean, what exactly is it? As simple as free throws? Does he need to put more time in on other parts of the game? Is it meshing with the pieces? What is it that's going to get him to that that top level of NBA? Just call him a superstar. Yeah, I think we're at the point that it's a lot of little, it's a lot of little things. I think there are some intangibles that 
that I worry about. I think there are times that he isn't fully engaged in the game and you see it on the defensive end. And he is a player that has to become an elite defender for this team to become a 50-win team. If we have aspirations of having home court advantage in a playoff series, I think that's kind of what we need from Andre Drummond is to take that step like DeAndre Jordan and become a good enough defender that no matter what's going on in the offensive end, we, we have to, we have no choice. We have to keep him in the game. Sure. Part of the reason we take him out of the game is the struggles he has at the free throw line. And I hope we're not at the point of giving up on it. Uh, he's still young enough that, you know, at 22 years old, hopefully we can find something from Andre Drummond that at the free throw line that kind of, I don't know, just whatever secret, whatever secret uh, it needs to be unlocked in that part of his game. I hope we can find it soon because if he can even be a 45% free throw shooter, that's all fans want is just yeah, right. give each sub 50%. I keep thinking, uh, I, would, I would be happy. I keep thinking about ma- the movie Major Leagues, you know, with the catcher who can't throw back to the pitcher. And, and they're like, you know, they want to get his mind on something else. And that helps him actually focus. You know, it was like he, he reads Playboy, but just for the articles. So he's like reciting those back as he throws it to the in his mind is off of it. So maybe, maybe this is psychological. Do, has Drummond, honest question, has he worked with a sports psychologist on this? I know the team brought in last season a sports psychologist. I'm not sure. Okay. And that was kept pretty quiet how, the, you know, what that person's role was with the personnel. But I, I would have to think it's at the point that it's definitely a mental block because when yeah. Stan Van Gundy comes out in press conferences and says, this is a guy who in practice is hitting 50, 60% of his free throws, we don't know what's happening in the game. Uh, it, it's, right. At that point, it's a mental issue. It's it, it's an issue of his mechanics breaking down and something in the mental part of his game just not quite cl- clicking for him. Sure. Uh, and I'm hoping he's able to unlock that because that's the next step for him to become one of the elite centers in the league. Yeah, it's almost like he has to go to his happy place to use another movie That's reference. That's right. Yes. yes. That's a good yes. one, too. The, maybe the virtual reality thing. What is this? So what is this virtual reality thing that he's doing? Because, like, Jordan, what exactly is this? I mean, I read it in the, I basically, like, read a headline in a story. I, I must admit I haven't, like, fully studied. It sounds like it's something that a few teams are starting to use now. It's basically, like, he can kind of sit at home and, like, watch his makes uh, either from his the first person to the third person perspective like what wh- so he can kind of like feel himself making it and that will like help his form is that kind of what it is yeah I, th- I think that's about right and your understanding I think is probably as good as mine because it was something that came out of media day so it's it's been a few days now that we've learned that he's using this virtual reality and and trying to come up with a way of studying more on the free throws. And I, I think that's helpful. If he wants to put in the time and, and start to find out what he's doing on his makes and what's happening during his misses, maybe that's the answer is just a little bit more homework and, and taking the game a little bit more seriously. And that's something that I know was a question when he was coming into the league was how bad does he want it? Does he really love basketball? Does he, does he have a high enough motor to really you know play at a high level? And some of those questions still remain with Andre Drummond. So maybe it is virtual reality. You know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's what we need. Is uh, he says, "quote I'm constantly watching myself shoot the same shot over and over again, and so I, I'm feeling it now while I'm out there. It's second nature." I buy that. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and I actually think that the free throw shooting, while I think he has other fl- like little flaws that we've talked about, um, I think that there may be a domino mental effect if he can just become a competent free throw shooter. He's not thinking about like I'm going to get taken out. He's 
he's not like beating himself up over being such a poor free throw shooter. I think it will have a domino effect in his focus. So I think there's something definitely be said for seeing the right mechanic. I know that I played personally in college. I played some of my best tennis in September around the U S open when I was watching like four or five hours of tennis each day. And then I could look at a nice, you know, a clean one hander and I could try to emulate that because if you're not visual, if you are visualizing the wrong mechanic and the muscle memory is also wrong, now you have the mental and physical parts both going against you. So perhaps this is the right way to turn half of the equation around um, at least the half that you might not think you can control uh, in the mental part um, but that's a lot of Andre Drummond there are other key <laughs> players on this just, team that need to grow just, ahead, just one more thing on the free yeah, throw yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, the thing with Andre Drummond is his mechanics seem fine he's not like some big men to, to mm-hmm. make another kind of dated sports movie reference it's not like Ricky Bobby where they don't know what to do with their hands there's <laughs> right. some big men that just don't know how to shoot at the free throw line Andre Drummond seems like he knows what he's doing he steps up he looks competent the shot looks fine and they're just not going in so yeah. that again kind of harkens back to this must be an issue on the on the mental side of the game and yeah maybe it's virtual reality that does it Yep. Yeah, well, let's hope. And if that is the case, then I feel like that could be a complete new wave for sports uh, sports psychology, uh, <laughs> correcting the little things. I feel like that could translate to basically every single sport. So if that's real, then and it works, then great. And we're only going to get better with the technology component. That's for that's for, for sure. Um, we did we did want to talk about the rest of these key players that need to grow because Drummond obviously has these places where he needs to get better. Um, but a lot of the other players in this team are young, like we mentioned. Um Jackson, KCP, Tobias, Stanley. We talked about all of those guys. They're all young. I mean, Stanley Johnson is 20 years old. He looks, he's physically built like a grown man, um, but he's 20 years old. Um, So a couple questions on that. We got some good ones uh, from our listeners here, and we appreciate those as always. So thank you. Um, Let's talk about for a second that core um, and then kind of go from there. So uh, Morris Fabry asks, how do you see the minute distribution playing out in that two through four positions, right? This is very similar. We talked about this with the Sixers before a couple different teams, Denver, when there's a lot of players at one position that can stunt growth and deciding how you're going to grow your players is very important. So where do you see those minutes being delved out across the two through four positions where there are a number of young players? Yeah, absolutely. And some players that have something to prove to earn either larger roles or prove that they belong in the starting lineup. And I I think it starts with Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I think KCP in a contract year, this this is a big season for him. And he's plays... Uh, he's played big minutes in the past, and I think he will continue to do so this season. Uh, the weakest position in terms of depth for the Pistons is probably that backup 2-3 spot. Uh, so the, the backup spot on the wings, while we do have a lot of players, we don't really know what we have out of some of those players sure. yet. So I would expect KCP, KCP is probably playing about 35 minutes a game, uh, a high-usage player that gives us something on the defensive end that's so important. I, I think a lot of people have talked about how he defended Stephen Curry, and and he's so important that we're going to continue to put the minutes and give him the opportunities uh, to be part of this core going forward. Uh, and I, I think it's very similar to what it was last year uh, at the two and three spot. I think you're looking at Tobias Harris getting close to 30 minutes a game. You're looking at Marcus Morris, 30, 32 a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then John Luer as the backup for uh, working primarily, I think, with the, the second unit. And then Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock kind of peppering in as needed. Uh, Stanley Johnson is probably the person getting the bulk of the minutes uh, at the backup spot at the two and three. And you're right. He's 20 years old. That's that's the thing (laughs) to keep in mind. Even though he has a man body and you look him in the face and there's no way he would be carded. I think (laughs) one would serve that man liquor, even though legally they should not. 
Uh, he just he's got that look. He's got that feel about his game. He's confident. Uh, I, I know a lot of fans really like Stanley Johnson, and we hope that he has that sophomore season and, and kind of takes off. Uh, but I see him getting the bulk of the minutes at the two three. Uh, but otherwise, I see it shaking out very similar to last year. And one more question on that real quick. Morris Fabry also asked, while we're talking about minutes, might as well. Appreciate these questions again. How much does Bowman get to uh, see the court? I hope as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, do you hope that because you want the team to win or just because you want to experience the joy of watching him play basketball? I do have this, and I, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, it, Liking Ish Smith, you'll like the idea of an Ish Smith Boban pick and roll. I love that Boban smash to the basket. That's really exciting as a Pistons fan. I I think that has uh, there's quality basketball in store for Boban. And uh, one thing, and this is a little inside, you know, just kind of looking at the numbers and contracts. Aaron Baines will have an option this off season, and I have a feeling he might want to get paid. Uh, So there's a chance he can go and make. Nine, ten million dollars somewhere as a backup center. So I think this is a year where we groom Drummond's next backup um, in Boban. I want to keep the the movie references going because I have a tremendous visual in my head right now. Um, yes. Have you guys ever seen Mad Max Thunderdome? It's a nineteen eighty five movie, a classic. It's, uh, a classic. It's, an, it's an absolute classic. Well, when they get to the Thunderdome, you know when they have the little guy who controls like that massive giant uh, that he fights? I can I picture in my head Ish Smith just riding Boban around the streets of Detroit, um, and I and I like that. I think that, I think that's um and that's the the right chemistry, and, and maybe they're doing that to build chemistry. But I love the idea of that particular duo. Tremendous, probably the best uh, dichotomy of of two players I could think of to be teammates in terms of the way they uh, the way they look size wise. Interesting. You could fit Ish in one of Boban's ears. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, someone's got to make that Photoshop. <laughs> we got a similar question about the wing minutes from Aaron Johnson. We saw your question. Uh, we figured that one answers it. I have a quick question. Uh, what's going on with KCP's contract talks? Like, do you think that they're gonna they're gonna agree to something before October thirty first? And do you how much do you think you should get paid? I have a feeling they will uh, have something in place before the start of the season. Uh, the fact that. Top, that they've had contract negotiation talks and um, it, it's not like the Andre situ, Andre Drummond situation last year where we would have more money in the offseason if he uh, declines to sign early and just takes his extension. Um, with KCP, we just don't have that much money to work with anymore, even with the cap rising again. So I have a feeling that we will lock him down. I would like it if we gave him one more season to see what we have in KCP. I think we know we have a guy who is an elite defender, but he's not giving as much on the offensive end in terms of consistency. So I, I'd like to see him become a more consistent offensive player. And then he really would be one of the best three and D shooting guards in the league. If, if he was able to mm-hmm. do. That. Yeah. I mean, he shot 30% from three <laughs> this past year yet. He shot, um, let's see how many he shoot a game. He shot, she it's shot, a pretty big volume. He shot five threes a game at 31%. Yeah. I mean, and he'd have I like these that. moments. I like that. Yeah, he'd have these moments where he'd hit like six in a row and you were like, and then the rest of the time you just would never make it. He's so streaky. I've always been a big fan of his game, but man, he's got to gotta learn how to shoot. Is his ceiling like becoming Matt Barnes throughout his career? I think he could be better than that. Matt Barnes is a, a tremendous wing defensive player who became a, a pretty consistent three-point shooter. Yeah, but but KCP can guard ones and he can kind of chase guys true, around. True, so I think true. it's actually, I, I almost think he's sort of like a, a longer Pat Beverly, uh, okay. I like that, that sort too. of guy. Uh, I 
I like I like the way he guards play, players. I think he could really get into them. Um, I think it just if he if he's shooting thirty one percent from three, like he's he's got to fix that. And I, I'm not I I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, you know, Jordan. I don't know if I would give him like a big deal with him shooting that that low, but maybe you know you do it now and he improves. I mean, you can improve your shot. Um, last two questions. They're sort of related. Uh, from we got these from why do i never have the username <laughs> it's from aussie piston one <laughs> of our aussie australian piston. listeners we appreciate that so much thank you yes uh two-part question uh one is um is it detroit the new memphis uh they're sort of locked into a core that should be a tough out but not winning anything and then his follow-up is that given how sort of it seems like the core is set when you talk about how much money they spend and how how they're starting to win now and they have a lot of these starting positions filled up. If one starter was to be moved in a trade to upgrade, who do you think is most likely? Uh, yeah. So starting with the first part of that, I, I know we've talked about it on the podcast before. There is a chance that the Pistons could be Memphis East, but the team is still young enough that we don't know that for sure yet. And we're not locked into so many large and long contracts that we have to just kind of fight through being the team that, wins 48 to 52 games and plays tough and they're everyone's favorite sleeper underdog in the first round of the playoffs but they just don't make it that far past i think there's a chance that could be our ceiling but it really depends on reggie jackson and andre drummond if they can find a way to take that next step i think it puts us past what uh you got out of the grizzlies and you know and and the run that they had the last five to seven years um what was the second part of that i forget that just if you had if they had to trade us a starter to upgrade like who do you think is the guy that that they would trade most likely and let me just real quick to caveat that with you mentioned earlier in this podcast that that's that's how the pistons get better they have to be shrewd with you know how they make trades when they get rid of players uh and and being kind of finding that jewel in free agency um so with that in mind who is that piece here i guess would be the best way to, to articulate that to make that trade that you were talking about yeah, I think it's probably Marcus Morris, and he's okay. on a pretty reasonable deal, so I'm not sure what he brings back in terms of finding a player that gives us more in that starting unit. But it's probably Marcus Morris, maybe in a package deal with Aaron Baines, who's on an expiring and, and might be interesting to someone who's looking for a big man that, that can you know shoot free throws well and, and do the things he's done for us so far. Uh, I would have to think it would have to be packaging those two players there is some talk. I know DBB and uh, there's a lot of fan posts about uh, possibly training Reggie Jackson and looking to upgrade the point guard spot. I still think we're a few seasons away from that. And if that's the case, I, I have to think Stan Van is so tied to his point guard now that if Reggie Jackson is struggling, that probably means the team is not playing very well. So I hope that's not the case. I hope that we don't see ourselves having to trade Reggie Jackson. How how essential is the point guard position in Stan Van's system? It was Jameer for a long time, obviously in Orlando, and and he is he was always one of the most solid. Um, I think a really good leader. I think well respected, uh, but never was one of the ten best point guards in the NBA. Prada, what do you think on that? Uh, I'm looking at Reggie's on off numbers, but I, I'm definitely kind of giving him a little bit of the side eye here, just to kind of see. Because uh, because I I don't really see a great path for him being a particularly efficient player. Uh, and I don't really see a great path for him being a particularly like great passer. Um, I, I think he has some qualities, uh, and I mean, so they're about one and a half points better with him in, and three points worse with him out. I don't know. That's the position now. The one thing I will say about Reggie Jackson is that because Drummond is sort of uh, has his own sort of 
consistency issues that we've talked about, Jackson has sort of kind of emerged as like the the voice and the leader of the team. And so there may be like some more value to him than what meets the eye on the court. But if if you're looking at like just production, like that's a I'm kind of with those DBB commenters. I'm I'm kind of looking at at Reggie as like, look, you mentioned Marcus Morris, like Stanley Johnson hopefully one day will be good enough to take that spot. Like they don't need to make a trade, I don't think to upgrade that. I'm But again, you think about what they don't have the Pistons. I don't think they're a great passing team and I wonder, you know, it's whether Reggie Jackson in four years is the guy that you want as the point guard or or whatever. That's why I'm just, I kind of have like one eye on that situation, I guess. Yeah. And in four seasons, there's a, there's a very real chance that we've seen the best of Reggie Jackson. So I think that's another part of the question is when is our championship window opening and is Reggie Jackson playing his best basketball at that time? I think there's a chance that he would be the one to go from the core players, the guys that we know are, are definitely going to be there in the future. Um, but it, it's it it goes back to I'm not sure. I think Ben, you had said, yeah, how important is the point guard position for Stan yep. Van Gundy? He was able to take a team to the finals with Rafer Alston as the starting. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but the complementary pieces were just so much better. Dwight Howard was peak Dwight Howard. You, you had Richard Lewis, Hito Turkoglu, JJ Reg. That team was great all the way around. So that yeah. four out one in they played was just better because the talent was a little bit higher everywhere else. And I'm just not sure with how high a usage player Reggie Jackson is and how important he is offensively. If we can get away with him not being any better, if we want to really think of ourselves as a, contender in the Eastern Conference. Hmm. Uh, question, who is who is Detroit Bad Boys, your community, who is Detroit Bad Boys' favorite player, and who's the guy that the community is too tough on? Because there's one of each in every every team we talk to, a player who nationally is looked at differently than they are locally. So tell me who that is on like um, both person. ends there. I think it's already Boban. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have all fallen in love with Boban, and I think we're all afraid of the heartbreak of it not working out. Um, but we haven't seen it yet. So I, we're all, uh, in love with Boban right now in terms of the guy we're toughest on. It's probably Andre Drummond. And it's, it's tough to remember sometimes that he is still so young that he's only had four years in the league. And this is a a player that already is playing at such a high level. He's the best rebounder in the league by far. Uh, but I think we, our expectations for him are so high, especially when you pair him with a guy who had Dwight Howard uh, you, you want to see a little bit more out of Andre Drummond if you yeah. want to get back to championships like you know so many Detroit fans want to. Sure, sure. I mean, a city who became accustomed to winning titles and then again, obviously, in 2004. Is that right? Yeah. Three? Yeah. Four? Four. Cool. Yeah, nailed it. Well, I was talking to, shout out to Rob Faz, one of my uh, coworkers. I actually work with a number of Pistons fans, a few people from uh, around the Detroit area and, and people who went to college uh, at Michigan State in their case. I know you went to Michigan, Jordan, and that's probably why you haven't mentioned Tobias Harris in any of the polarizing uh, comments here. Um, right. That's right. Keep him protected, Michigan man. Um, but let's see. Pistons were 44 and 38 last year, which is a, a good record. I mean, that's, that's a pretty solid record for a team who's growing, if you will. Vegas has them teed up this year i believe for the prediction preseason was 45 and a half wins let's get your prediction let's put you on the record here let's see what jordan the the uh, pulse of the detroit bad boys nba community on sb nation thinks the win total will be this year what do you see them uh, landing in wins and and what's the ceiling for uh, if they make the playoffs um the first round second round etc sure so i'm 
cautiously optimistic going into this season. And I will say a lot of the community is expecting close to 50 wins. I, I'm, so I think most of the community would take the over on 45 and a half. I probably take the under, but just missing it. I think this is a 44, 45 win team again. And I think that puts us probably somewhere again between the six and eight seed in the East. Uh, and that probably means another tough series for us. That means playing Cleveland or Boston. And and that would be a tough first round series for us. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's a little too easy to see a team that won 44 games and think, okay, well, now they'll just win 47, then they win 50, then they win the title. And it just doesn't always go like that. And we saw it last year with Milwaukee. We've seen it with teams like Phoenix two years ago where you just expect them to get better incrementally, and that's not always how it works. And that's right. For the Pistons this year, it just it comes back to me at least. Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, can they take the step? If they do, this is a 50-win team. If we see a bit of inconsistency and Drummond's still struggling at the free throw line and the team is not an elite defensive team, then I'm just not sure how we got that much better to win five or six more games. Wow. Am I going to be more optimistic than the team side guy? <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. We're going to buck a uh, big trend here on limited upside. Wow. This okay. <laughs> I think they're the fourth best team in the East. Now, I'm like 75% in on that. I think you look at their like second tier of the East, Like I think that they have the best upward growth trajectory. They have, I think, one of the best coaches. So like you talk about like them taking a step back. Like It's hard for me to see them doing that, understand. like If they had a different coach, then I might That's say, true. you know, I worry about some of these things. I think they'll take another step forward. I'm looking in the mid-40s. I think they're better than – I mean, you look at the rest of the teams of this conference after the top three – uh, I think they're better than Atlanta. I think they're better than – now that Atlanta doesn't have Horford. I think they're better than Indiana. Uh, I think they're better than Charlotte. Uh, I think they're probably Miami. better – Oh, yeah. I think they're definitely better than Miami now that Bosch – you know, with the Bosch situation, you know, I think they're probably better than the Wizards, although the Wizards always beat them, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> Everyone gets yeah, one. We need to get better against the bottom half of the East this year, too. That was – the they had a couple games where they just they couldn't score, and that was that was that. Um, I think they're the fourth best team in the East now. One thing I worry a little bit about, uh, which I don't know if a lot of people are talking about this, is that I thought it was kind of a bit of an eye eye scratching or eyebrow raising quote um, from Reggie Jackson in September. I, I'm quoting him from I think the Detroit News, and he was saying that you know look the team's better on paper, but he's worried that they they you know he. They lost some key veteran leaders. Um, you said, quote, we did have steady rocks with uh, Joel Anthony, Anthony Tolliver, Steve Blake, guys who really watched over us. And then he said, quote, unfortunately, they've moved on and we have to find a way to get it done. Um, hats off to those guys. We're definitely appreciative of it and we definitely use it in the future. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that he credited the leadership of all those players. And then you look around at the guys they replaced them with. Better players, but... I w- there is a bit of a leadership vacuum that I wonder who fills. And so if they don't achieve what I think that we all expect, that I think is going to be a factor. You know, who is that guy? Uh, but no, I, I, I think on paper and talent-wise, I expect a big leap from Stanley Johnson. Uh, I think Drummond will be better. I think Jackson will be just as good. Uh, I think their bench guys like Ish Smith and Lure will make a big impact. And I have them winning like 47, 48 games. Like, I think, yep. I think they're the fourth seed. It really wouldn't stun me if they pushed Toronto or Boston either. Like, I think they're probably closer to those teams than the rest of the pack. Yeah, I, I, could, 
I'd be interested to see how that shakes out. I, I think that um, I think I agree with you, Mike. I think they're right around that as well. I think 48 was what I have uh, written down here. So improvement from last year. I will say, whenever you add pieces from teams, this goes to sort of that veteran gap that you were talking about, the void. They added a lot of pieces, um, with the exception of Marjanovic, who came from a winning franchise. They added a lot of guys who came from teams who have lost a lot um, over the last three, four years, which can go both ways. You can really want to buck that trend and really get into the, uh, I'd like to win some basketball games. That's that's ish. Um, that's, you know, when Marcus Morris came over from a, a team who actually actually won a little bit when he was with, um, with Phoenix. Harris. and. Then, Yep, Tobias Harris from Orlando, the, yeah. the model of dysfunction and losing when you should be decent. Um, you know, uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. But I will say this: um, I don't think that any of the teams you mentioned, from Miami up through Indiana, got any better compared to what Detroit did with the actual player personnel and then progression of the players on their team. I expect a nice leap from Stanley Johnson. I've been a huge fan of his. When I saw him play in the um, high school All-American game here, the Jordan Brand Classic he actually looked like an NBA player and he didn't like the way that everyone was just willy nilly running around the court. I kind of appreciated that to be honest. Um, so I like the pro- uh, trajectory of the team and I do think that Stan Van Gundy given the time and knows what he's doing. So in, in Stan, we trust we'll build a wall around this team um, to, <laughs> and we'll, we'll pencil them in. I'm going to put them at the uh, four seed in the East. Some solid Pistons puns at the end there. That was, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, it, but in Stan we trust. That's right. If, if this right. will go as far as, as Stan Van takes us, and we've seen previously with Stan that that can be pretty far. And I think that's <laughs> the one thing that even as a fan that has some worries going into this season, uh, I, I'm still looking at a roster that at least has an identity. And you look around the rest of the East, and that seems to be lacking with what the Pacers have done, wanting to play fast, but bringing in slower guys. <laughs> there's just teams that don't seem to quite have an understanding of what they want to do. And the Pistons have that. And that that's definitely nice after the six or seven seasons we had um, previous to Stan coming in. Sure. Notorious SVG. As that's right. Um, that's right. Hey, and as the city of, of Detroit. cover this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And as the city of Detroit uh, experiences its renaissance, so shall the Detroit Pistons basketball team. Real quick, though, Jordan, you do your own podcast. Plug that, man. People should be listening to you. Yes, sir. And I appreciate, uh, you know, you having me on and getting an opportunity to talk about the podcast that we do with Detroit Bad Boys, uh, DetroitBadBoys.com, an SB Nation site. The podcast is uh, a weekly uh, podcast during the NBA season and we'll be starting this week with an Eastern Conference preview that we're starting. Uh, We're going to be running down each division, starting with the Atlantic, getting to the Central. Uh, and then talking about the team as well. So uh, we're gearing up for a good season and DetroitBadBoys.com for all of your Pistons needs. <laughs> Very well done, man. It sounds like you know what you're doing with the podcast ins and outs there because that was smooth. It takes me like 20 sound, uh, twenty bites in the beginning of this uh, before I get it right each time. No, Mike you get can it right at the very first time because we actually just record this all in one take with no mistakes and no <laughs> whatsoever. Just perfection. Uh, it's <laughs> the magic of podcasting, right? Um, cool. Who, Mike, who's our next uh, team preview? Uh, look at i mean in the record it'd be indiana uh i think maybe either indiana we may go a little out of order uh with this but um if uh, indiana should be next and you know regardless well somebody next uh it would probably be miami after that uh there you go and then you know we'll see what happens from there yes yes that's right good many good teams to come many interesting personalities sb nation communities to plug into this was a lot of fun we learned a lot about uh about an interesting team that mike is higher on than the guest and that never ever (laughs) 
happens. But Jordan, I was able to provide that to the podcast. <laughs> we appreciate you setting the bar for us. Uh, again, everyone, that's Jordan Ballant. Please listen to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. It's a good one. I'm sure you would get what you want if you are a Detroit Pistons fan, because it sounds like Jordan knows what he's talking about. Please enjoy the rest of these off-season previews that we're doing. Uh, Mike and I will probably hit you with our full season over-unders at some point before the season starts. That's where we make our predictions that never come true. Remember, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. (laughs) 